0: This episode of Higher Ed Happy Hour is brought to you by Helix Education, the leader in data-driven enrollment growth. For more than 40 years, Helix Education's enrollment growth solutions, including outsourced program management, enrollment marketing, and retention services, have helped colleges and universities successfully find, enroll, retain, teach, and graduate post-traditional learners. To learn more about how data can drive your institution's enrollment growth, visit helixeducation.com slash happyhour. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest Higher Ed Happy Hour podcast. I'm Kevin Carey of New America. I am joined today by Andrew Kelly of AEI and Libby Nelson of Vox.com. Hey, guys. Hi. Hey, Kevin. Uh, 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 Libby has Brought our refreshments today. Libby, what are we drinking?
1: Uh, we are drinking the Goose Island Summertime Kolsch because if you are in Washington DC or has ever heard of any from anyone in Washington DC, we are living in that Ray Bradbury story where it's sunny once a day every seven years. And I That's hope true. that if I just buy things that say summer on them, the message will get there. Cheers to that. It is, it the sun's is, out by the, the way, out. It, <laughs> guys. it rained
0: and then the sun is out <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. The beer yeah. is delicious, <laughs> by the way. It's very good. We beat the all-time record for consecutive days of rain by like seven days.
1: Oh, it's awful. Yeah, and like then we church. had like seven more days of yeah. rain right after that. Yeah, it's it has been,
0: been... <laughs> it's been it's been a good time to grow grass. I've put mm-hmm. a lot of grass seed down. Me too. My, oh yeah, it's like a jungle out there. It's like great. I'm yeah. like because you need temperate weather and a lot of rain and everything, and so that's. Been Looks good. like the it's Scottish been running highlands. weather.
1: I have to say because it's yeah. not been like actually actively pouring. Yes. It has just been like cool I and damp. Know. So I've done a lot of that.
0: Yeah, um, I have yeah, I've too. I've been sort of trying to get a foundation in before it gets hot. Because I'm going to run the Marine Corps marathon in the fall. And so.
1: That's awesome. Yeah.
0: You're second, right? So I'm second. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I did the rock and roll. Now I'm I'm into it. You're on borrowed time. (laughs) Yeah. Jason DeLisle said that he said, everyone who runs a marathon for the first time either never runs one again or they are like, oh, this is cool. So I didn't know. So it turns out I'm like, this is kind of cool. Jason DeLisle, my colleague, is actually going to work at AEI. Hooray! Hooray! Cheers to Jason. Cheers to Jason. uh, AEI will now be the center of. Um, opposition to income-based loan repayment. <laughs> yep, um, and uh, opposition
2: to any nice things that people and, currently have. Um,
0: although, so I, you know, it's funny because so Jason. So Jason, for the listeners out there, Jason is uh, the head of the Federal Education Budget Project at New America. He's been with us a long time. He is a great guy. A one of the absolute smartest um, higher education finance analysts in that exists anywhere. Um, he's been with us for a while and he is making a very amicable transition to AEI. Um, uh, on your month. side, it's amicable. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> <laughs> we're already arguing. I'm just kidding. Um, so, um, yeah. And Jason is a man of deep expertise and strong convictions on mm-hmm. in certain areas. And so, so we had like Elizabeth Warren was at our, um, uh, Ooh, uh yeah. national conference last week. And nice. so she got up and gave a big long speech. Um, about uh, uh, actually, she did a great job. It was a very, a very involved speech about uh, labor and and sort of a new kind of compact with workers and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Very Elizabeth Warren, very left wing, but sort of very smart and well thought out. And uh, and but of course, Elizabeth Warren has a uh, is the leader of the uh, the federal government um, makes a profit on student loans mm-hmm. movement of which if the Opposing movement has a leader. I think it's Jason Delisle. Yeah, um, pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. And so I was afraid that at some point she was going to say something, and he'd be like
1: liar, like from yeah. the
0: audience, and it would like end up on TV. Yeah. Um, but uh, that didn't happen. Every,
1: didn't, everybody made it through. Yeah,
0: yeah, everyone made it through. She didn't. She didn't say anything about student loans being profitable. Um, I've I've teased him that we're going to immediately switch our position on that issue as soon as he leaves. We're not though. I think I, th- I think Jason's right. I, I don't think student loans are profitable. He's convinced me over
2: time so well if if and if they were they certainly aren't going to be after more and more years of loan forgiveness and income-based repayment right we are so close to the first year of loan forgiveness i I like
1: when i started writing about this stuff and talking to jason it was like oh 2017 is that like you know way far out there date? and all of a sudden like oh hey it's it it needs to be like an ice
2: cream cake and like sparklers (laughs) like when those numbers come out
0: well i've been i've been like rehearsing in my head like the you know, going away speech that I'm going to give at Jason's going away party, because that's one of your jobs. That's the nice. Have you. To like, yeah. you have to think of some nice things to say. And so <laughs> w- w- what I'm going to say, so pre- Jason, I don't think listens to our podcast, So, but if he does, then preview. Um, but this is true. So, you know, Jason was one of the people who uh, worked hardest to kill the FELL program, mm-hmm. um, both when he was a member of Congress and then when he was here at New America, along with Steve Bird and a bunch of other people. Uh, but he was big on Killing the Foul program. And then Jason was also, I think, one of, one of if not the sort of uh, people who pushed hardest to go from a statutory interest rate to mm-hmm. um, a uh, interest rate that floats with the market. Mm-hmm. And this was a couple of years ago. And the Obama administration came on this. And a lot of the advocates, and Jason like, always reminds people of this, like TKIS and the others were totally against this because mm-hmm. they said it was going to cost people money and that rates would go up. And rates have gone down since then. Um, so I think Jason Delisle has actually done more than any single person mm-hmm. I know to make college affordable for mm-hmm. low-income students, just from a monetary standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think his plan is to take it all back through, <laughs> by reforming income-based repayment. Yes. So he's like built this huge mountain for himself to climb, and his mission at AEI is to, but to knock the whole thing down in terms of in terms of that. No, um,
2: he's uh he, the floating interest rate thing is, is, was like a fascinating um kind of, it's also, a, it's also a testament to like people's views of like control and like, right, like centralization, like people don't like to let things float, like full stop, right? Mm-hmm. They like That's to right. be in charge. Upside risk, downside risk, all that. Right, right. All that. Yeah. right. So kind of, like, yeah. no, 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 let's just, because it can always be lower, right? You can always right. make it lower. So, and if we have control over it, we can always make it lower. And um, it,
0: in a, to be clear it doesn't float for students it just floats for the government like it's once you get it you get it so it's not even the- it floats year by year right it's fixed
2: yeah. it's fixed in the year you take out the loan right yeah exactly. it's gonna
1: be fascinating what happens when that rate eventually starts to go back up yeah um, there will
0: be a lot of pressure to just cap it I'm yeah. sure um uh Yep, we'll be back to that debate. Yeah,
1: speaking, speaking of policies speaking happening of in the policies,
0: future. <laughs> um, so, um, since the last time we met, happening. Uh, uh,
1: okay, okay, that was a strong word.
0: Since our last podcast, Donald Trump became the Republican nominee, and we really, really have proving to me here. wrong.
2: I can't even remember what my bet was on it,
0: but
1: you're it on proving tape. me.
2: Proving yeah, me wrong. Go back Hardly to the, the,
0: the archives. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that when I raised the specter of him, I got a little snark for being kind of a dick for even bringing it up. Like mm. last summer, mm. it was kind of like, Carrie, you're being a jerk. And just kind of to even sort of. Oh, to needle, out to needle. To needle. Yes. But I was like, I was just yeah. being a needler mm-hmm. by being like, ha ha ha. Donald mm-hmm. Trump. The Donald Trump higher education agenda. Yep. And so, here we are. <laughs> here we are. Um, yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Well, it's
2: an inside higher article. Yes. Which makes it a real thing. Right.
0: So Scott Jassik, uh Libby's former boss at Inside Higher Ed, uh, uh, did what good reporters do. Scott is like, you know, there aren't that many reporters left out there, but uh, Scott Jassick is definitely one of them. Um, called up the guy who's allegedly the Sam Clovis, former mm-hmm. some kind of candidate, a professor somewhere, mm-hmm. um, uh, and said, what's, what would the, what's the Trump higher education agenda? Since, you know, uh, to this point, all we've done is just kind of made fun of Trump University. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote down what he said uh, uh, There were two things in there That struck me as reasonable um, One was That just saying Vote Donald Trump Is not hate speech mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. apparently is not a totally settled issue On American college campuses I want, to,
1: I want to come back to that by the so, way yeah. So uh,
0: that makes sense to me I'm down with that If you just write Trump in chalk It shouldn't send people <laughs> Scurrying for their safe havens Or or be an actionable offense of something so so yeah I, I agree with trump on that one um and that there should be uh i guess they endorse skin in the game mm-hmm. um, which
1: is now yeah. literally everyone has endorsed skin Every, yeah i've got to write like, game yeah,
0: yeah um and I, I associate that as an andrew kelly issue do you want to take just a minute to, to remind everyone what we mean by this sure yeah so this is the notion that
2: um like a mortgage lender today unlike mm-hmm. during the housing crisis uh that that colleges because they essentially originate loans for students you can't get a loan if you don't go to the college um that they should bear some of the risk of non-repayment um and whether that's financially or have to buy you know they have to make a payment back to the department of education in the event somebody doesn't repay or they have to buy an insurance policy that kicks in to pay off some of those debts or they have to pay into like a uh insurance like a student insurance fund or a protection Mm -hmm. fund or something like that um but the notion basically being Colleges should have some skin in the game because it will lead them to examine lots of different um, policies they have around admissions and what programs they offer and how they invest their money um, in, you know, things that either promote student success or, or are unrelated. So,
0: Now, in the article, it said uh, – Jastic brought up the idea that some institutions ought to be exempt from this because mm-hmm. of their financial cir- – the financial circumstances of either the college or the students um, – uh, Trump's man rejected that idea. What do you think?
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, that, that's sort of like saying um, the lenders that lend to subprime um, folks shouldn't be mm. subject to the same um, skin in the game policy, which seems strange to me. It seems like what got us in there, in the problem, into the problems in the first place in the mortgage market. Um, so, yeah, I'm with them. I think, I think, I think the, what I try to talk, say to people and I have a piece on this that's coming out um hopefully in in the near future is that the points the point of a skin in the game in my mind is not to put colleges out of the out of business like immediately right like to do that you you do like a performance floor that says mm-hmm. if you fall below this you're just out right so what you don't want to do is like have a have penalties that are so severe right that like that colleges go out of business for cash flow reasons not because right mm-hmm. when they could improve and so, so you, do, you have to have, like, a penalty that seems to be reasonable. Um, you also have to have, like, safe harbors for institutions that improve. Like, I think an institution that makes big improvements but still falls into – gets into trouble under any policy should be, like, have an exemption, right? Like, you mm-hmm. should um, – but you have to do something, right? Um, there's also this argument that, that community colleges shouldn't be subject to this because so few of their students borrow, Right. Or, or in some cases, in many cases, so if your other students borrow. And, and the argument there is like, well, it's less risky to students and it's less risky to taxpayers. But on the taxpayer side, it doesn't make any sense because if you're a huge community college. Right. And a low, low number of people borrow. Right. There's still more risk to the taxpayer of default than at a very small like Barbara College. Right. Where everybody borrows. But but. But you know, and the and and everybody defaults. But the exposure to the, for the taxpayers is much bigger in the case of the big community college with a low borrowing rate. Mm-hmm. So, that that doesn't really wash with me either. I see how it's like less less risky to students potentially, but but from the from the taxpayer perspective, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um, never has. So.
0: Yeah, it, d- it does kind of feel like something that could be the thing that happens in H.E.A. Right? I mean, like I've heard really the, the Alexander's yeah. people have said they're in favor of it, and he's like the most influential education person in Congress by far right now. Yeah. Um,
1: Yeah, I feel like this is the podcast where I say, I need to get around to writing about that, but I do need to get around to writing about Skin in the Game because I do feel that, like, it has gone from this sort of fringe idea of five or six years ago in sort of the same way that um, free tuition has to being this really central idea, except that in the case of risk-sharing or Skin in the Game or however you want to describe it, it is a much more bipartisan one. Um, I think endorsing i mean what you say skin in the game is i think varies a lot um but it seem it feels to me like almost everyone except for bernie sanders has endorsed some version of the idea um, i think clinton had something like it in her plan it hasn't gotten very much attention because th- there's everything in that plan and yeah. no one cares about talking about it but it does feel to me like the thing that is like maybe the one thing that everyone can agree on and so i suspect that at some point it will fall apart um in the way that these things usually do. But the, the, the like lo-
2: the lobby, the lobby, the lo- Harrod lobbies absolutely hate it. Right. And, and, and so I, have, and I, I, I am done, a little dubious yeah. of it
1: happening on that basis. But. And I've done
2: like a number of panels where yeah. I just go and get like absolutely abused by like a trade association annual meeting, right? Yeah. Where I'm the only person that says this is a good idea. <laughs> and like everybody just like screams at me How about sure. how bad it would
0: be. Um, it's one of the fun parts about our job. Yeah, right, right. It feels like the kind of thing that if they were smart, they could make the tactical choice to... Essentially make that the one issue that they'll fight over, mm-hmm. and but just on the assumption that they get everything else they want and then, like, mm-hmm. draw a circle around it and kind of defang it mm-hmm. and then be like, fine, but we mm-hmm. get everything else. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. that would be a perfectly fine outcome. I mean, that given, seems like a you know? thing that could and then happen. And then the people, the legislators and everyone can feel like they accomplished something. And then the world 99% goes on the way it was. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it will 100% be HEA though. I mean, it's the thing that's like the most common to plans that no one talks about because beyond the phrase skin in the game, which like most (laughs) people seem to agree with, it just has zero public resonance whatsoever.
2: Well, I mean, people like my sense is that when like so, I, I talked to a couple of the presidential candidates in the summer, mm-hmm. and um, and then talked with other people who who also talked to them, and th- and they seem to suggest anecdote, very anecdotally, that like families said, yeah, hey, that's right, because my kid's bearing all this risk now, and like, why isn't mm-hmm. the college? What happens when like the college doesn't deliver anything of value? Right? So like, people get that. Yeah, right? I do. So, I mean, like-
1: I th- I think it has potential for that reason. <laughs> I think that politically, though, people want to hear that like their dad or their kids debt is going to get better and so i could almost mm-hmm. see it as like some kind of payment to the people who default mm-hmm. would be more popular than some kind of like you pay the education department who right. like to a lot of people the people making the loans are like as culpable as anybody that else like a good idea. i mean why not
0: it's just i mean that's that's the political well, if i mean, were like yeah. i don't know if
1: that's a great policy but that's the political twist because then, then you're I like i mean the,
2: the weird thing is like like you you would you could potentially encourage
0: people to default, to default you're better off right than paying your yeah. loan yeah. I don't know, yeah. I don't know I don't like, know how you deal I don't right. know how you default deal with the, and you get money the perverse and don't default there. and you keep paying money yeah, yeah that seems wrong yeah mm-hmm. so what I've okay. said you're, you're I, I take your, it back you ruin your credit <laughs> but you get
1: like a little bit of I mean I yeah. I don't know you know yeah. Yeah. I don't know what yeah. The, yeah.
0: the what I've
2: said in the past is that the is that because I've always thought that this works works well and only and in some cases only works if you have like a a thumb on the other side of the scale to keep people in enrolling low income students. Um, and yeah. so like using the proceeds from this to pay bonuses to campuses for every Pell Grant mm-hmm. student they graduate seems like a reasonable like n- revenue neutral mm-hmm. kind of approach. Um, and the, the hatch, the Shaheen hatch bill that they put together had essentially this kind of structure to it where mm-hmm. they said um, they had like this, this student success bonus, Pell bonus fund. Um, with a with a risk sharing and a, and somebody's recently said to me, Barmack recently said to me, I don't like risk sharing because it makes me feel like I'm sharing risk with like a lots of shady people. So he said risk retention <laughs> is <the> better <laughs> way to say it, which I kind of whatever, like. And that's the makes, way the mortgage makes Barmack happy.
0: That's know? the way the that's the way the mortgage market actually Bar-Mac talks about it. Would be a good too. guest person. Mm-hmm. We should bring Barmack in here on the podcast. What do you think, Living?
1: Do we have a future of this podcast where we have guests? I think, I we think may. like, yeah. I feel like we keep floating this future, yeah. and yet it hasn't yeah. happened. Um, that would be great. Yeah, you guys can have Google Doc of like our okay. someday, or yeah, our summary right. list. Yeah, we
2: need a
0: Google. Yeah. We need Google Doc. All right, so those are the two things that seemed not crazy to me. Um, the longer list <laughs> so the of other things forty-seven I things. Um, so two big ones. One, the the wording was a little clear. It was either destroy the federal student loan program, or what I assume was a, what he really meant was go back to FEL. Yeah. Um, so FEL, F F E L for listeners out there. This is the uh, uh, system by which uh, student loans used to be made until to- two thousand ten, in which most federal loans were actually made by banks, private banks who were. Paid exorbitantly, in my opinion, um, and shielded from risk um, in order to do that. I mean, all I can say is like, like, fell restoration is actually useful to me because I use it as a heuristic for you're full of crap. Like, like, if the first thing you have to say is that, then I just assume you're not paying attention, you're not serious, and you're being kind of dumb or in someone's pocket. Mm. Um, Like, I, I just, I'm like, not aware of any serious argument in favor of it or any serious person who like, wants to do it. Am I wrong about that? I mean, is there some kind of...
2: Well, so I would say a couple of things. Number one, it did—it wasn't exactly clear to me that that's what he was arguing for. Right. Um, but
0: if it wasn't that, it was destroy the, the student loan program. Which well, would be I think it terrible, was right.
2: Yeah, I mean, so I have there are argument, there are arguments for it, but there are arguments for scaling it back dramatically, right, and actually allowing students that could borrow on the private market and forcing them to do that to do so. Right. I mean, anybody with a, cos- a credit worthy cosigner can borrow on the private market to pay their tuition. Sure. So the notion that we have like this entitlement for all income mm-hmm. bands is sort of is is a little bit strange. Right. Like it's not it's no longer solving an underprovision problem per se. Right. It's just becoming a big a big broad entitlement. So that's one thing I'm I not say. thoughtfully. To, yeah. yeah. So I have <laughs> <there was> silence. <laughs> um, that's one thing I would say. And the other thing I would say um, about it is like what I liked about the discussion was like he, that he got into a little bit with Scott was like the notion that both colleges and lenders should be like forward looking and how they underwrite. Right. So now like private lenders are backward looking. They look, they look at your credit score and your credit history and they make you a loan, which does nothing to actually discipline the system. Right. Cause you can, if you have good credit and you want to go study something really stupid at a bad college, you get a loan. Right. As opposed to, Somebody saying, oh, you want to go do that at that program? We know that place is terrible. So we're not, right, right? Like like a mortgage lender would do with a neighborhood or with, right? Like, mm-hmm. so, um, so that part I like about it. Like, how else? Like, there's no way the federal government can underwrite loans. They're never going to do it. It's an entitlement. They're going to make them to everybody. Um, so the question I always have is, like, how do you bring in enough Private sector influence to actually add some of that discipline on the finance side.
0: So Trump guy has an answer to that question. It is not actually uh, whether the college is bad. Um, it's what the student is majoring in and whether the college is selective. So this is basically what he said was mm-hmm. you shouldn't be able to take out a loan if you want to study the liberal arts because the liberal arts are bullshit, I guess, or something. Um, well, he said you could see, He said he st- said, he said, uh, he said uh, it, you could
2: study. You said you could study liberal arts at a college where students tend to do well on average right? Okay. And so so, so have, like,
0: so the liberal arts for the upper classes. And, no, and not necessarily, the, right? No, I think that's really what that means, isn't Well, it?
2: so like, I think part of where there's a grain, of, there's a grain, there's a kernel of truth in it is like, is like, we lend a lot of money to students to do a liberal arts or general studies associates degree, which has very low payoff, and they don't transfer. And the question is like, I see why we probably do that on the aus- under the auspices that, like, the person may transfer and there's, a, like, a high mm-hmm. option value to that. But, like, there is a real question about, like, should we be putting independent students in lots of debt for a liberal arts where you can go and look at, like, college measures. They're, like, they make, like, 20 grand a year, right? Like... Sure. sure.
0: I mean, I mean, we're getting into this sort of like broader logic of whether or not there should be subsidy for higher education. I mean, you can imagine a world in which like the entire high edu- higher education system is private market and it's purely based on your your uh, uh, earnings potential, like your access to credit and all the rest of it. I don't think anyone wants that. I mean, or that's very, that is very far from the sort of foundational policy assumptions that we have now.
1: I was going to say this lines up, I have a couple issues with this. One of them is that it feels like looking at that based on earnings potential, it gets away from like, I want to make a loan to someone who is not going to default and into sort of more of almost like an income share of like, well, I only want to lend to people who will make the most money. There is still a really big difference between you are not going to default on this loan, even though you got, you know, an English major from like a third tier regional state university or whatever to like you are not making as much money as an engineering major. You know, if they can make the like $300 a month payments, like beyond that, what do you care? The other thing is... I mean, we know that graduation is the biggest predictor of defaulting or not defaulting. Beyond that, I really wonder as we sort of talk about risk sharing and as we talk about underwriting, like, do we know that like major or where you attend is really a better predictor of being able to pay back your loan provided that you graduate or that you don't graduate than like race or class? Because I'm not convinced of that and I feel like the underwriting conversation is going mm-hmm. to go into some really uncomfortable areas as soon as we start having it.
2: Yeah we have a paper coming on this now. So so just to just to come. Uh, yeah that
1: was not a rhetorical question come clean by clean the way if anyone prior, knows so, I'm curious. Which like, yeah. Which is
2: like I think the right way to go and I've always thought this is like a mixed system where like you for people who are credit constrained, there is a publicly subsidized loan program mm-hmm. because we know that nobody will make them a loan, but we think we think that there's you know we there's a there's a public reason, public good reason to do it um but like but like what we have done what we've done is we've actually like built that right but then we've made it no longer need-based right so we've expanded it to everybody then on top of that we've let parents borrow whatever they want right up to the cost of attendance right so you have no you have like zero market discipline on the on the on the finance side from the feds, right? And the only thing they do is they hem and haw and wring their hands about whether they should cut the worst possible programs off from those things, and they still can't even do that. So the question is, how do you introduce any kind of market discipline with if 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 the feds are gonna just do soup to nuts, do the whole, the whole financing side, right? And like your guys' solution with your plan would be to have the federal government Impose the market discipline with rules, which is one approach, right?
0: right? And huge subsidies.
2: Yeah, and huge subsidies, right? Right. But so another way to do it would be to re- would be to rely in a more mixed system, rely on rely on some private, some public, because we sort of have that now, right? Where like we're like parents who are like, no, I'm not going to give you money to go to that school. That's a terrible school, right? But like, who can play that role in a in, in a in a broader in a broader uh, broader way?
1: How does that intersect though with the fact that it's the students who are at risk? Uh, and who are often are not creditworthy, who are often the ones who would be the ones who would need the public subsidies of loan systems. I think I day. think
2: that's I think that's who we target the lending to toward, right? So like we tar- we target the publicly subsidized lending toward those students,
1: right? But I guess isn't, like
0: because isn't that they, the opposite of what he's saying. He, I
1: mean,
2: yeah, he, no, no. So so I'm not I'm not. By the way, I'm not siding with his. Sure, what sure. I'm saying mm-hmm. is the kernel yeah. of truth that he's identifying right. is that okay. we have no market discipline around expected ability to repay. There is zero in the federal government, in the federal loan program. Right. We have The closest we come is we lend a little bit to you as a first-year student. We lend more to you as a second-year mm-hmm. student. We lend more to you as a third-year student. That's that's the closest we come. Um, and so what I'm saying is I don't like – I don't think that his – the model of like going to the private market – it's the same reason I objected to you guys saying, well, they can just go to the private market in your model where you don't have federal loans anymore mm-hmm. because private lenders now don't lend to anybody, right? They, they just don't like – Like seven or nine, seven to nine percent of people have a private loan. Our
0: model, I just, I feel compelled to say that that's after a huge increase of subsidies. Our model is a essentially huge uh, replacement of loans with grants. Yeah, but you're assuming post. But you're assuming that parents pay the EFC. What's that? You're assuming that parents pay the EFC. There's lots of assumptions, which is a massive
2: assumption. That's a massive assumption. Most parents don't. That's why we have seventy percent
0: borrowing because rates. the EFC is a lot bigger under under the current system than it would be under our system. But 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 so you're assuming. I mean yeah, no, the EFC you're assuming, isn't, but the amount you actually have to pay is a lot bigger. So
2: yeah, well that yeah, but but what you're assuming is that parents will, parents are making like a decision based on where the EFC is, as opposed to saying I can get free money from the government, and use it as a cash management strategy, right, and pay a pretty low interest rate. And right, I mean,
1: I want to get back to my question for a second because I think I phrased it badly. I mean, what my concern is listening to sort of this idea that the credit worthy people can go to the private market and there is this, these public loans available for people who are not able to get a cosigner. I just feel like the Venn diagram of people who are not able to get a cosigner on their loans and people who want to go to like the for profits and the community colleges with the worst outcomes is probably a very large overlap. And I'm wondering if that's correct. And if so, what you do about that?
2: Um, I think it's big. I don't think, I don't think it's, um, I think anybody who's low income these days who doesn't have a co we have a paper coming out on this. It's like the income, it was very different in 2008. Private lenders were lending to everybody mm-hmm. for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very different now. There's, it's very, it's just a low. So even when you condition on like net price, for yeah. instance, higher income people ha- ha- borrow private loans more often. Mm-hmm. Hard to tell whether that's because lower income people are choosing parent plus mm-hmm. or because they're defaulting to it because they can't get a loan mm-hmm. from the private market. Um, but no, I think. I mean, your point. Your point is correct. I think. Um, I think you'd have to. I mean, so what I'm saying is, that the world would look. The world wouldn't look any different mm-hmm. than the way it looks now, because mm-hmm. we have exactly your problem now, right? Which is like. Which is like low income people, a lot of low income people are the ones who are taking out federal loans to go to the for profits.
1: Right. I Full just stop. wondered if it did anything about that problem. I guess was my question.
2: Uh, I think it could. I mean, I yeah. think I think if you you know, I think for the marginal students who are you know what I mean, that in the yeah. on the margin, right, who are relying on their parents borrowing some money to attend like mm-hmm. a poor performing non public, a private nonprofit that's really expensive, like if you if you substituted in the private market for the parent plus program. But by the way, the the background to all this is like this stuff all very quickly runs into disparate impact questions. Mm -hmm. Which is which like one of the points we raise in our paper, which will be coming out soon, is like it's kind of interesting that we allow banks to lend on the basis of credit scores, which we know are like incredibly highly correlated with income and and in many cases race. Right. But because nobody's come up with a better way to do it, that's legally permissible. Right, and yet this like seems to cause people a lot of consternation,
0: right? Yeah, I think I mean partly it's just macro lesson that loans are a bad way to help people go to college from a public policy standpoint. Like loan policy is just hugely problematic if what you if if you if you have broad goals of increasing access to higher education and making it more affordable in a in a way that is you know uh, uh, cuts across divisions of class and race and is you know broadly consistent with student choice and you don't want to have a purely vocational kind of approach to higher education loan policy just you just end up down this kind of like rabbit hole of impossible choices
2: i mean other like other countries would disagree right like like the like england england australia right who went to who went to a i mean much more rational right. than our system but they went to these precisely to do what you just described which is build access to their system right? Because they couldn't afford it otherwise. They needed they needed more private finance in the market, but the people that they wanted to give access to couldn't mm. pay their own money.
0: But right? I, I mean, I think that a, like a loan system accompanied by generous income-based repayment isn't yeah. a loan system. I think it's basically just a version of the Jeb Bush plan that you worked yeah. on, right? You know, Yeah, I that's mean, probably it's sort fair. Of, I mean, it's, it's, just a, it's just a different way of parceling out the subsidies.
2: Yeah, but but like you're still giving somebody, you're still extending somebody credit that they then have to pay back, right?
0: right? Well, if mean, you, like if you can't default on something, then is it credit?
2: So Australia is a good example. Australia's yeah, I'd like to know like more income, about Australia. Australia yeah. has the income right. bands, right? right? So they have income yeah. They do this forward-looking underwriting. They say, oh, you're going to major in this because you have to sort of choose, right, right, as you're going in. And your loan limits are different
0: based on what you choose to study. I just think, th- I think the nomenclature trips us up. I think if you have a – I think a system in which it's impossible to default is not really a credit – and loan-based system, I think it's just a a different way of allocating subsidies to different people in different circumstances. Well, yeah, I mean, but you're, but then you're because there's no interest either. If there's no interest and there's no default, then then that I, I just kind of feel like our lending language starts to fall apart. Um. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem to me that that's what the advocates are
2: most hung up on, though. What they're most hung up on is does something take a chunk of my income every month away from me when it should have been free.
1: An interesting thing about this, by the way, is other English-speaking countries are sort of adopting the U.S. language of loan debt is a thing that I'm mm -hmm, starting to see, where there's, like, the I've seen these very alarmist posts, which are alarming. Like, I read Mm -hmm. them and I'm alarmed about the U.K. and the level of loan debt in the U.K. And I have Mm -hmm. to step back and be like, okay, this is, like, an extraordinarily different situation um, than it is in the U.S. But it's it's sort of this interesting effect of, like, whereas six to six years ago or so, people would have been like, oh, look at the U.K. and how they Mm -hmm. do it, despite the fact that everyone has a lot of debt, to it's sort of gone the other way of like, oh, well, like, look at the U.S. We should definitely be alarmed about this like vast amount of debt that our graduates have. It's a lot, by the way. It's, it's, in, it's higher than it is um, here on average. I wish I could remember the figure. Yeah. But it is – and I know they've had tuition increases and some other things, but it is this interesting sort of like while we're trying to take this With lesson the, from them, the lesson they're taking from us is like yeah. everybody freak out about this. But
2: the caps are off, right? Yeah. I mean, like, this is what people don't remember. The caps were like incredibly regressive before they before they mm-hmm. had a lending program right like they they nobody got access to the to the best schools only like this a small strata of society mm-hmm. right they've taken the caps off of the english public colleges right i mean and not just the oxford and cambridge but all around and not like you know they're now they're allowed to grow t- to the extent that they can finance Right. Using the mix of tuition and public subsidy. Right. So it's just the same. It's the same mix that we're trying to trying to rationalize at the state and federal level. Right. But but I would just say like so I, I just mean like um, you're probably right. The semantics are problematic. But I do think that there's this there's this sense that the privatization of higher ed finance is a is a complete and net negative. And and no and very rarely do people actually talk about the net negative of of nationalization of federal of, of higher ed, which is it gets really expensive really fast, and taxpayers are not that generous. And so at, when that happens, somebody has to start making choices about who gets in and who doesn't get in. All right.
1: It's gone a long way from reestablishing fell. I just want to just want to make That's that right. clear.
2: So so fell's so bullshit. Yeah, but, so we, can all, we can all agree though. That but,
1: there way, but, there, that but there are ways but there but there are
2: interesting ways you could think about like, sure. like you could give a partial guarantee. You give a very you could give like a small guarantee, right? To try and like expose them to more risk. And-
0: so I do I have an article idea for someone one of our listeners to do, which is in this in this piece, um, the example there's always an example of the like nonsense liberal arts major that somebody doesn't want to subsidize. And this one, it is sixteenth century French art. Yeah. And so someone should tally up all of the the like notional made up BS liberal arts things that people cite and figure out how many people are actually studying those things because I I'm pretty sure that there's no one in America as an undergraduate who's majoring in quote 16th century French art who was painting in France at that time so I mean, I mean yeah, like seriously nobody yeah, it doesn't know. there's not one person it's not a MC, yes. so in you know? my
2: family the in my family the pejorative was Roman band instruments which, <laughs> which, which <laughs> I think was like a real class at Yale when my uncle was there and okay so like and so like in my grandpa's mind that was like the epitome
0: so That's we amazing. should write this was so going on, on six six years ago should, yeah. we should unearth like, these we should unearth yeah. these assumptions and, and interrogate them and the, find out what they say about us and what because i actually think that we might learn something you know because it's there's sort of like so. the chronicle some other, did a fun
1: one on uh, underwater basket weaving which yes. actually did not really answer my questions oh, wait, about underwater basket weaving it, i have a very did high it find that? Okay. Uh, level uh-huh. and it did not quite rise to that oh, but yeah. it, was really? a, it was a good attempt because um, it is, yeah, it tells us something about like what we what we think. Did is. someone like, just so make that up at some point? Value, Wait, now I want to know, like, where does I that can't phrase come from? I remember. I read it a couple of years ago. I'll okay. tweet it to you. We'll tweet it.
0: So there's, huh. there's kind of the, there's like the esoteric, like, and like President Obama even did this, right? Then he had to apologize for it. He, and, you know, the difference being he realized it was a mistake. He said, like, art history. Art like, history. Like, he said something that was an like, he actual. Apologized. Was out of bounds. Yeah, he apologized like <laughs> 10 seconds later, like within the same sentence. Like, he was like, dah, dah. I mean, but let me be clear, you know, but it was already out there, right? Yeah, you know, I think it was art history. Um, art history was what, uh, like, uh, Governor Scott said in Florida, right? No, anthropology. Anthropology. anthropology? Yeah. I think yeah, art history is a big one.
1: Like archaeology is an anthropology major. There's a lot of interesting things to archaeologicate in. Art history, I
0: think, is so. My neighbor's an archaeologist, and she does.
2: She works for the city of Alexandria, and they're always digging stuff up. Sure. I did not realize until way late in college
1: that this was a thing you could major in. And honestly, this is my like. If I went back and did it all over, I at least would have taken some classes. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, I endorse it. Yeah, anthropology is a big one.
0: So, if you want to kind of like, if then there's, I think there's a subset which is where you can start talking about like gender studies, but that's just mostly a, a way to like say mean things about gender studies. I think gender you know?
1: studies is a different, like, gender studies is like a PC, like, right. thing as opposed to a like, yeah. this is but an obviously useless subject, right? Like, that's a different, that's yeah. politically shaded a it's little sort bit of, differently.
0: This is sort of the like economically worthless and self indulgent matrix, mm-hmm. you know? Like, mm-hmm. kind of what phrases can somebody kind of throw out there that like, really trigger this in people yeah and, i mean 16th century french art is is like right in the middle of that thing in Definitely. that sense even though it is again i want to emphasize made up entirely and there's <laughs> no one majoring that how many like how many graduate students i mean okay undergrads don't major in these things first of all um yeah. how many uh doctoral degrees were granted in some like phd theses written in the 18 million people in the American higher education I don't know, system. Seven. In yeah. 16th century French art. You know? it depends on how
2: you loosely define you art, probably. Right? Does literature count?
0: Yeah. No, uh, no. I think, I, I think we know we're talking art is like, like visual arts. Yeah. yeah, painting. I think he means painting. Painting. I'm assuming. No sculpture. I would. I would. Mean, I would. I would, uh, love, I would be generous and lump yeah. in sculpture. Yeah. I think literature. No, not literature. Like I feel like literature is different. Literature. Yeah. So okay. Um, something like that free article idea
2: yeah that's a good that's a really good article idea and it's also like like as like my own my own plug for like my line on this which I've written about before is that like you know it's usually people on the right who are most guilty of this Um, and it always sounds to me like sort of five year plans in Soviet Russia, right? Like well we need more of these, so we're going to produce right. more right. of these. And it's yeah. like you couldn't get further away from the market right. than saying and I'm not saying that the Trump guy wasn't saying quite this, right? He was saying well the market will sort it out. Mm-hmm. But um but like in some of these places where they're like our state needs more blank. Like I get I get why you might want to mm-hmm. forecast what you need, yeah. but like there is like this question about like well if you're really
0: a market-based problem solver, then like it seems weird to I actually these so a, long time, <laughs> yeah. a long time ago in, in the mid to late nineties. I was working in the Indiana legislature. This would have been nineteen ninety seven or nineteen ninety eight. We actually met with a delegation of like visiting people from one of the uh former Soviet republics. Mm-hmm. Right. So they so they were a country again and trying to figure out how to like run their government for the first time in however long. Yeah. And 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 so their question was it was they were talking about higher education and and I I remember this conversation. They were they were like, well, you know, the forecasts say that you need more of this. Why don't you tell your colleges to like graduate more people in this? And our response was, well, that's just not how we roll here in America. Mm-hmm. You know, we just you know we just figure pe- people need more of that. They'll figure it out. They'll they'll be like supply and demand, right. and they would just be followed by that. Yeah, like, yeah, What are you talking about? That's it, man. They're government. They're, that's exactly universities, it.
2: Just yeah. go
1: tell them what to do.
0: Just
2: tell them to produce more of these widgets. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. yeah I- I mean, I don't know. I think my, my blanket defense of useless majors while are at it is like... You probably don't need to major in 16th century French art, but I actually wish I had taken a few more classes of like looking at a thing and analyzing it critically. I think that is a useful skill, right. even if that thing is 16th century French art. And, like um, objectively,
0: as long as we're talking about underwriting standards, <laughs> I will put my money down on the 16th century French art, art majors. I will, because over whom? Be over like random BS Business. like marketing degree people? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I would too. I mean, you're, it's I, you're, be you're interested in a thing, right? Yeah. I you're... think there's
0: also
2: well, yeah. I so I think the variance is going to be big right and the variance on like on like it's not always the case that you're getting the the passionate savant right like based on the esoteric major right it could be just be that they've like done rate your rate my professors like perfectly and yeah, like that's and i'm going to just like yeah, thread the needle here right so let's be real about that but i do think there's like a broader there's a much broader like sociological point here which is it's it feels to me like the like as college gotten more expensive that students who are not planning on getting, and stop me if I've already said this in the podcast, I don't think I have, who are not planning on going to graduate school or don't think they want to spend the money to do so, are majoring in things they think have value. So like pre-professional things mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. business and marketing and, and communications. Like, oh no, those are the things that like I can go to labor market and they have value That's really and interesting they're that. wrong. You're right. right? Yeah, I think you're they're right. wrong about it. Sure. Right. And like, but yet, yeah. But yet like kids who think they're going to go to graduate school Feel free to major in liberal arts because they're gonna they're gonna specialize mm-hmm. later, right? And so you have this like weird disconnect where like liberal arts might be just as valuable or more valuable like over the longer term than like the pre-professional things. But you have all these kids who are making that decision because they feel under this tremendous pressure.
1: That's so this is super resonant to me because I have not at some point I on the podcast will talk about my like weird college decision and choice and uh, course selection process. But um, that was basically the decision that I made when I was 18 was like, either I will go somewhere and major in liberal arts. I thought English, like in retrospect, it would have done history um, and go to and master going get my master's in journalism. I already knew I wanted to be a journalist and go do like a one-year master's program, or I would go and not get a master's and do my like pre-professional undergrad. It never occurred to me that like I could just go and be a journalist with an English major and that like going to grad school was not a thing I would need to do. And my parents both worked in newsrooms. There was like no excuse for me not realizing this, but that was like very much the way that we set this up. And it, it was exactly that. It was like either I will major in something that will like get me this job Or I will probably get a scholarship, save my money for my master's degree, and, like, do that as my, like, pre-professional thing. Mm -hmm. And that was before – I mean, that was more than 10 years ago before, like, master's became this, like, ubiquitous, totally ubiquitous thing that they are now. So
2: this is why when, like, people start talking about, like, well, you know, like, there's good reasons why we have transfer credit. You know, like, well, why we like, you know, we want to vet all those credits, right? And I'm always like, so, but like, when I went and got my PhD and master's, it's not like Berkeley was like vetting my credits. Mm-hmm. So like, what you're saying is that like, upper income affluent people who graduate with a BA get stackability, like, to the mm. to the hilt, right? They get, they can stack their anything on top of their BA. Mm. Nobody really checks anything, right? right. But, like, lower-income people who are, like, getting certificates oh, and AAs, sorry. no, no, you can't stack any of that. We're going to, like, vet. We're going to, like, look through all the fine print. Like, it makes no sense.
0: And they don't vet on quality. They no. vet on, does this look like what we do? Right, right. Which is, you know, because they assume that what they do is good. Does my
2: syllabus look the same right. as
0: the syllabus? Yeah. yeah. No, that's a whole... And, you know, I mean, I... I could spend a whole podcast tr- trying to sort through my thoughts on the liberal arts and my frustration with the sort of like cultural norm of educated people being in favor of them, even though no one really even understands what they mean by that. And mm-hmm. most of them don't really support that idea in any sort of actual theory or practice, nor is that really what they studied. Yeah. I don't even think most people really understand what the liberal arts means. No, you're exactly right. And,
2: and they think like, so t- in, my, in my experience, there's two categories of people one of which on the liberal when they're talking about liberal arts think it's like a major in a set of majors right it's like english history whatever mm-hmm. there's a whole other set of people which is like the more the way i think about it which is when i when i go to a campus do i have to take things in lots of different areas
1: mm-hmm.
2: whatever my major is yeah. right which is like what dartmouth was like i had like so many requirements right i had to like right. take yeah take art and computer science yeah. and like that's what i
0: think of as liberal arts but that's just like general education yeah i think that is, i think
1: that is a totally different thing i no, mean i, I got through my gen eds with like and i had a i had a ton of them because medill had a lot i'm gonna of
0: them have more so i am i've been in the middle real of i don't think that's general education i'm gonna put a pin on this for myself mm-hmm. you guys can say what you want i'm actually in the middle of reading the harvard red book right now the like general education in mm-hmm. america which is like mm-hmm. super interesting and well written um through the first third of it uh and you can buy it it's harvard for like six bucks um, but they actually I mean like a bunch Of the Harvard professors Like spent a while Trying to like think This stuff through And there's actually This whole super interesting Diagnosis of Like uh, Pre-diagnosis of The state of American Education policy Circa 1945 uh, TLDR Exactly the same As it is now Hasn't changed At all Nice You know, That was what I took Away you know, from your book States so, you know, are uh, disinvesting You know blah, blah, blah. Uh, The world's becoming More complicated We have mass education now uh, There's this funny Funny statement Where they're like uh, we're not really going to say we don't, we're not going to say much about sort of early education, other than it's ridiculous that the younger kids are the less their teachers get paid. What's up with that? Um, <laughs> it's great to know how much progress we've yeah. made in like seventy yeah, years. It's um, identical. But they were also sort of like, well, it's all good though. Actually, we everyone agrees that the we're it's doing great. pretty well there. You know, should, it's just kind of the higher. It's also part. sort of pre Cold War though,
2: right? So like, there's like there's this big like. There's this well, big change you could, in like... But
0: it was, it was, you know, and this was very much more explicit back then. It was this kind of, it was this idea that you it uh, you needed to give everyone a common education so the masses wouldn't rise up against the government, right? Mm-hmm. I think revolution was, I mean, because that's, I mean, c- keep in mind, there had been some major revolutions like in the lifetime mm-hmm. of the people that were alive then, right? You know, right. so it was this idea of national identity and, mm-hmm. and sort of... Um, uh, Holding together in, in face of foreign threats and yeah. that the education, that like sort of getting everyone to think the same way and know mm-hmm. the same things was sort of part of that. That was kind of part of it too. But anyway, so, so I'm trying to figure out, I'm reading this as part of my own trying to at least feel like I can articulate what the difference is between general ed and liberal liberal arts and the humanities and let's come back to this i would
1: i I haven't figured it it would i don't know i don't come back to me to to revisit my
2: prior on like that liberal arts are like a particular major but something about that just doesn't is not what i like if i study only history that's not liberal arts
1: so i guess like the distinction that i sort of draw if i were to like absolutely have to describe out how i think about this which is weird i've never Mm. had to do that um do it (laughs) it is not one class And it is not, like, one specific major, but it Mm -hmm. is, like, over the course of you being in college, whether that is two or four years, are there a bunch of classes that require what I – think of as like liberal arts skills mm. which is now mostly we're really like parsing. writing yeah. like now we're really I, but, I think, but like I don't think either of the two that you're batting around work for me because like you can but have gen to, eds and like but I had to write papers
2: like, for like most of my gen eds right? a bunch like,
1: of econ classes you know? I mean I had to
2: write I had to write papers for most of my gen ed requirements right like
1: I think there's just this also like problems western canon like, liberal arts yeah. idea that I have that's yeah. like the St. John's thing yeah, yeah, yeah. that like I did not do like the core yeah like the core there's like the core liberal arts which like no one is that is like not so. There's this like, essential distinction between,
0: that. but yeah, like yeah.
1: my next step For up knowledge. from that, I think, is like you have to do that kind of thing, right. perhaps mm. with other texts a lot.
0: So I think I, I mean the the classic or like one of the classic books on this is Bruce Kimball's Orders and Philosophers,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, which is great, yeah, right. and you guys should t- check it out. Um, uh, he uh, and where he he um, makes this distinction between the the oratorical uh, uh, tradition and the philosophical tradition. And I'm going to probably butcher his argument now in the middle of the second beer here. But the the point he makes is that when people talk about liberal arts, sometimes they say there is this corpus of like uh, human knowledge that Mm -hmm. all educated people should know. Mm -hmm. Right. Like so like to be an educated person, you need to have read uh, The Republic. Mm-hmm. and then list like 20 other things and have some argument about them. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of our accumulated wisdom and you should sort of know and be familiar with all these things. And that's one argument. The other argument, which is, you know, the is that uh, is actually um, not grounded in knowledge, but more grounded in mindset and where everyone says mm-hmm. you need critical thinking skills. Mm-hmm. And this is the mm-hmm. way colleges mm-hmm. have learned to talk about this, right? You need to be able to engage in diverse culture. I mean, it's the same words that everyone says. There's almost yeah, yeah, no yeah. agreement, disagreement on this his argument is that these are actually two different things they are rooted in two different intellectual traditions and that colleges have are constantly pretend interchanging them in ways that Mm -hmm. are confusing or or if they're a little more clever pretending that the one is also the other well it's Mm -hmm. a literal like
1: the core like the general education core quote unquote is like I mean it is literally mingling the vocabulary of the two of them
0: yes yeah so so people will say and well and you can take
1: as your core usually has nothing to do with what people talk about when right. they talk about sort of the core knowledge
0: and his his argument is people will say oh well uh, you know we have people study you know Columbia or whatever we have people study the great books in order to become critical thinkers mm-hmm. and he's like yeah but there's no evidence that says that you can't be a critical that the only way to be a critical that. thinker is to yeah. study those things yeah and then and then vice versa that, yeah that, that also, those I think a are, lot are the lot of only people things. who promote that right. are not actually that yeah.
1: interested in critical thinking they're interested in this sort of like policing of the bounds of like everyone knows the same right. thing rather than mm. sort of critically interrogating it
2: well i think we've definitely uncovered the fact that mm. that that like nobody has a good consistent definition of liberal arts yeah
0: no that's definitely true
2: It's <laughs> right. like so th- so so right. we don't even know who they would lend to under the For trump d- plan. yeah that's wow. true how would we how would we, right? Even, right? How would to, we even decide right. yeah
1: you guys know? i really do not think the trump plan would provide such like in-depth and it's edifying conversation of, of higher you know ed these days but this people
0: are constantly plan. underestimating donald trump that's the problem. That's how we got. Here. I actually
2: think so. Having seen this guy on television many, many times, Sam Clovis, yeah. I actually think Sam Clovis is very bright, um, and he's a he's an econ professor at mm-hmm. a small liberal arts, a small private, I assume liberal arts, Morningside College. I mean, what else? Probably could what it else be could right. Um. Uh. So I don't. You know. I think. I think he has some interesting things to say.
0: Um. No. When it came out, I tweeted. I think I was like, I'm surprised by how like comprehensive this bad plan is. Like, there's a lot of stuff in here I disagree <laughs> with. You know, I, I assumed it would be one or two things, and there were actually like eight or nine.
2: Well, um, and like, he, you know, he but he like checks the boxes. He's like, oh, community colleges. They have a lot to offer. They're you know like things that, like I mean, he's clearly
1: aware of the debate yeah. and like what the issues are that you're supposed to be offering opinions yeah. on. So of which like, given the way the campaign has gone so far, right. this is not me being snarky. Like that is literally not a given.
2: Oh yeah. God. He actually teaches at a real college, unlike most of the advisors for other candidates, right?
0: Fair enough. Uh, He does say he's against free community college because community colleges are, quote, damn near free, which is not true.
2: Oh, yeah. Like living expenses. But he's right about 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 tuition. A lot of
0: states, they're not damn near free. No, like on average, they are. I mean, I mean, what? Damn near free. You with a Pell I mean? Grant, Most
2: independents get the maximum Pell Grant. Like it's pretty not close. Not the one goes
0: to community college on the Pell Grant, though. I mean. Well, but, but like, look. I mean, just
2: look at the look at the College Board data. College Board average, mm-hmm. average person has enough grant money, right. and they also include tax credits. Which I don't agree with, but has enough grant and tax credit money mm-hmm. that their net price is essentially negative because they I get. I
1: know until this very moment, the College Board data included tax credits oh, yeah. which is really oh a thing which is I should have known that a long time on ago some this they do on some they don't
2: so just be like That's the table this is very embarrassing. it's actually it's not, it's not it's I don't clear. think it's right it's, it's, it's not clear little it's a tricky I so,
1: would
0: not I would not and a couple years ago I think I asked Jason or, or Alex but I'm like go call Sandy Baum for our listeners the person at the college board mm-hmm. the economist uh, respected economist and current Clinton Weiser. Um,
2: GW, Not a, actually, she's not an employee of the college. Sorry, oh, yeah. she's at she's Urban. Worked,
0: she worked with the college board she's for a long time. She's Urban, yeah. She's a, a, an important advisor to the Clinton campaign yes. on higher education. And she was the architect behind the annual college, uh, uh, trends in college pricing, trends in college aid mm-hmm. reports that are very, very influential Are essentially the de facto source yes. of information for these things. Yeah, they do include tax credits, which is super important. And in kind of an obscure way, I feel like I never even figured it out. mm mm-hmm. I was like, go figure it out in a way that at least we understand what's going on. And it's you Yeah, know, that's you
1: say that I've definitely read the, yeah. Like, but then I just some you the just figures sort of look do, at that some and some like, I know what don't. net price means. Yeah. And so net the price figures, to me does not mean tax credits. The
0: figures by
2: uh, income don't. Mm-hmm. Um but, okay. but the overall averages oh, is that, what it is?
1: that is good. Yeah. okay, that is that is better okay. because I usually use it for the breakdown by income. Right. And that makes I think me feel because better, I think so. because
2: you can't nec- I don't know, I don't know what it is, but um like n- my NIPSAS doesn't have the tax benefits information is my recollection. Because I might be wrong about that.
0: Uh, Didn't Jason just do a whole thing on using NipSAS?
2: No, he imputed it. He Uh, had to impute it, right? Yeah, because because the timing's wrong, right? So like NipSAS asks Mm. you has a questionnaire at some point, and like your parents are probably getting the credits, not you. So like, and your and the and the credit the tax credit is not on your like financial aid record with your school.
0: Oh, that makes sense, right? So right? you can you so, can look at like all college and just throw that money into the exactly washing machine and spin it around and yep. come up with whatever yeah. numbers. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. A few other things from the Trump agenda. A few other notes here. Um, <laughs> uh, we're not focused on for profits now. Can't. We'll just wonder why that is. Um, well, because there's probably probably because there's an outstanding lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps um, he punted on affirmative action, which I thought was interesting, mm-hmm. given the Trump campaign's. Uh, uh, attraction toward racial grievance as a as a, a motivating motivating pillar of their uh, sales pitch to the American people. So. so, like,
2: so let me ask you a question. Yeah. When you were reading this, yeah. right, like just as a litmus test, right? Mm-hmm. When you were reading this, you can say you can say like, oh, what a what a bunch of crazy ideas, right? right? But like, did you walk away from it reading saying like, this guy's a lunatic?
0: No, no, no. I I walked away from it thinking this person is actually has to your point. A fairly in-depth understanding of what the like range of contemporary higher education issues are.
1: By the way, this makes me wonder who picked him, which like may have been. I don't know. He clear, you know why I, he's
2: not. Had, you know, you know what his story is, because he was he was a bi- he was an important person in Iowa for getting out votes early on.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Because yeah, I was gonna say like one thing yeah. that I think people thought would be comforting about Trump. That's that makes a lot more sense. Because yeah, one thing I think right. people thought would be comforting about Trump that has like not come to pass is like, oh, maybe he will just pick like sober minded
2: you people. know,
1: people. Yeah. But like, no, he mostly hires people mm-hmm. who like sound and talk exactly like him. And so yeah. that actually was, was something interesting to me. No, about this guy's this. Was on like, a lot. Yeah. Like when
2: when in the mm-hmm. run up to Iowa, he was always on like as a surrogate with like some of the other <laughs> candidate surrogates. Um uh, smart guy I, my point was my point was that like for all the like for all the crazy like Trump's a lunatic he's unhinged mm. like this came across as actually as actually exceptionally um, rational to me yeah. is there um, an
1: argument against moving OCR into the Justice Department by the way yeah, that the to me one. was an interesting idea uh,
0: I don't I don't have one <sighs>
1: Federal aid is Why federal is it a good aid. idea? Why is it a bad I idea? I don't well, really have a feeling either I mean, way. I I, like federal aid is federal aid.
0: I mean, I think it's so. Uh, uh, well, I mean, sign. so
2: so the big deal is like the big thing. Office of Civil Rights is what we're talking. I about. I don't know the answer to this question, but the big the big change could potentially be that like Ed now writes all these dear colleague letters, mm-hmm. which are vaguely have the force of law, mm-hmm. but really don't. Mm-hmm. And so They're maybe like justice Jewish. maybe justice is different. Like maybe justice actually has like doesn't have either like. You write things that are, like, the actual rule or not. Like, I don't maybe. know the Justice has a dear colleague process. I
1: don't know that they do either. It's it's just – it mm-hmm. actually, like, I reading this, I'm like, oh, but maybe – and maybe it's because Justice has been on my mind because they've been very active on some of the same issues Ed has been active on surrounding mm-hmm. transgender rights and some other issues like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, like – that doesn't DOJ seem like a totally sues, crazy like, DOJ sues idea people, to me,
2: right? Like right. they like, to, like
1: put it somewhere where yeah, right. if you're gonna do it, it's actually going to have. But the like force of law. as
2: opposed to like putting preponderance of evidence standard in a dear colleague letter where you're like, well, is this force of law or not? And they're like, wink, wink, we don't, we would hate for something to happen to your title. So, so how college you got there, right? <laughs> like that sort of so like it I'm could be. Look, yeah,
1: I'm gonna look into this. I don't have an opinion on it yet. It just was like. Oh, I mean, I think it's like in keeping. It's in
2: keeping with some of the other discussion around like let's let's stop putting this exclusively in the hands of colleges and mm-hmm. have it be in the hands of local
0: law enforcement, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I mean, I think there probably is a different organizational culture, and I'm not sure colleges would want. I mean, the Department of Justice. That's kind of what I is, thought. I was like,
1: This, right. this I mean, seems DOJ, to me like a good idea. They are like, it seems like maybe they are bunch of like, colleges like, like all hard-ass all right.
0: litigators over there. I mean, yeah, maybe. yeah but, but, but
2: for that, yeah, but for that same reason, for that same reason, as we saw with like the letters from law faculty around preponderance mm-hmm. of evidence, right? Like, it's unclear. It's it's not. It's unclear slash unlikely to me. That DOJ lawyers would send the same dear colleague letter around. that Yeah, I that just wonder if they would find something right. more and like I don't I don't,
0: I don't know what the. Like, I mean, I know I know anecdotally because I am uh, uh, I live with a government lawyer who uh, does not work for the Department of Justice but collaborates with them all the time. Mm-hmm. And so there are all kinds of formal and informal um, uh, processes by which things that. Uh, uh, Lawyers and agencies that aren't the Department of Justice do to sort of, you know, run stuff through DOJ and back again because mm-hmm. either because DOJ will be involved in litigation, um right. and DOJ would represent the Department of Education because uh, in, in if, the event it was sued, yeah, because Department of yeah. Education doesn't have independent litigation authority, so DOJ like DOJ. Uh, uh, Defended them in the for-profit lawsuit, for mm-hmm. example, right? And, and right, so, um, right. so I don't know if that then means that they also saw. I have no idea what the answer is. That's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah, yeah
1: I'm curious. Yeah. To, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. I will report back. I'm gonna try and find out what okay. what, what concrete difference right. that would actually I, make. I
2: think in general that there's like a sense that Ed, and I get this from a project I'm working on now, that Ed has a lot of people who who make decisions that are not really subject to review. And there's very little accountability about the decisions made, like for the decisions made, I should Mm say. And it's like hard to know, like, how would you hold like a lower level staffer who's like has actually a lot of power, right, to issue issue letters on any number of topics um, that there's there's like this dissatisfaction with that. Um, And I think especially in light of the Obama stuff and, and like not just the waivers, but a lot of the stuff on Title IX, I think, has been.
0: I feel there's like there's an argument for an, an agency with focus and expertise around a set of issues that can, mm-hmm. that one, its mandate is limited, it can investigate, it can, um, you know, it has a certain constituency and a certain kind of limited set of prerogatives and trying to, you know, do it through a collegial mm-hmm. process, like your colleague, would kind of, as opposed to the hard edges of regulation and litigation.
2: Because yeah, anytime the Department of Education regulates, is total bull- Dear right, colleague, is not soft
0: edged.
1: Yeah,
2: anything. I don't think anybody. Come it's soft edged. Regulation. No, it's not. It's basically this veiled threat that if you don't do, we don't. So we you know, we know we couldn't get this through <laughs> notice and comment rulemaking, and we know that Congress can't do it, won't do it. So we're going to write a dear colleague letter and make you terrified
0: of what happens if you don't. Comply. So you want
2: unveiled threats is your your preference? No, I just want things that are legal. I just want. I just want somebody to say this has force of law.
0: I mean, I, I mean, so my context in this is that, like, last week I spent a bunch of time writing about the Department of Education's mm-hmm. ongoing rulemaking efforts around ESSA, the new version of the Elementary and Secondary Education Act. And, you know, like, they, they throw the rule out there and they're, you know, hauled in front of Congress for daring to regulate because congress doesn't like regulation not because they don't have the authority to regulate it really because congress doesn't it like
2: it really didn't help that arnie duncan said yeah, our lawyers awesome. are smarter than any republican <laughs> staffer who worked on this bill <laughs> it like didn't help like at if all. you didn't think that yeah, that was, was terrible, terrible. Didn't think that that was like clockwork going to be dragged to the carpet on that like you couldn't you couldn't have a worse soundbite for like hoping that the things you want to
0: accomplish you couldn't have a worse soundbite people and yet they would have dragged them in front all the same you can't I don't tell know. me that that, that that some maybe it, That's... I hope that the people in the uh, uh, office of the the senator are more professional than that. And well, that's me, not the difference. Well, Arnie Arnie Duncan certainly wasn't professional enough to not make that I'm, comment. I I think it was a completely inadvisable and insulting comment. Right? I would not disagree with that at all. So but I also think so, that.
2: So like so so, I mean, you know, priming the pump basically like telling people telegraphing to people that you're that you're parting guidance is to push as far as possible in the direction that the chairman of this committee explicitly tries to stop you from pushing and telegraphing
0: that through the press like seems
2: like a bad strategic choice i
0: i just i agree with that Uh, at the same time you know the this is the way government works congress creates these agencies it gives them rulemaking authority you know i mean Mm -hmm. i mean there's we're we're wandering a field here. Yeah, that's be because the president. Is like we're way off track. An hour we are into, way of I don't know anything really about and that topic.
1: And, anyway. we're yeah. like and an I hour didn't hour I even read on.
2: your piece. So, I, but I'm just saying, like from yeah. like a from like a sort of political perspective and a separation of powers perspective, that is not a smart move. It's not a smart move.
0: And like my only point being, there's just like this is just uh, you know you have a Congress of one party and you have a, a president of another party, and I, I mean the president signed that piece of legislation, but. Um, you know, like, the, this is just the nature of government. It's not like anyone's doing anything but think unexpected about it, or but incorrect.
2: Like, yes, but, like, what... It, but, like, Trump has pulled even with Hillary Clinton. Will you feel as good about what you're saying six months from now? So I anticipate feeling really good about the Hillary Clinton administration. Six Fine, but, like, about. what if it's a Trump administration? <laughs> like, it's an honest question. Would you? Will you feel as good all right. about all the smart lawyers? Trump has some smart lawyers. We know that, sure. right? He sues everybody. So, like, will you feel as good
0: about Trump saying... We've got really smart lawyers
2: who are going to undo all of this
0: stuff. So full disclosure, I uh, am still uh, refusing to devote any of my uh, mental attention to the possibilities of a a Trump administration. It's unthinkable from my perspective. It's not the America I thought I'm living in. As it was Um, for everyone.
1: Yeah, Kevin. This is
0: actually startling like, me. Please devote a little bit of your sure. Well, no, but I mean, so up. okay, but still, uh, uh, absolutely right. But but, but, it's but I feel question. like, but it's an honest question. So so are you um, equal opportunity executive right. power? I mean, all I can say I've been working on education policy here in D.C. since 2001, in in through a Republican administration and a Democratic administration, and have had uh, been an active commentator and have worked with both administrations mm-hmm. in a variety of different policies. I don't I don't think that you could look back at. Anything I've written and say that there is a opportunistic or a partisan change in my attitude toward executive power.
2: Well but that's not the question, right? The question right. is the question is assuming any eventuality. Any eventuality at all. Right. Don't like don't put I right, don't put so much faith in mm-hmm. elections. Right. That like and I would imagine that a lot of the Bush administration changes to things around for profit colleges mm-hmm. and 80, you know, like some of those regulations didn't run, didn't rub you the right way.
0: OK, no, I mean, to take your question a little more seriously, like I am a strong believer in democracy and the rule of law. And I, I mean, I, I'm not trying to like say that that anyone who's listening to me isn't or that you're not or mm-hmm. that you're not Libby. I'm just saying that I feel like. But are you a believer in separation of powers? I think that, that does, I, mean, I think that that's. I mean, I think that's actually like a troublesome concept. You know, like I don't. Like, what does it mean exactly? You know, like what? Like what is the difference between someone who believes in the separation of powers and someone who doesn't? It means that
2: policymaking authority is vested mainly in the Congress. So I, so not in the executive say, branch.
0: I think that I, I think believers in the separation of powers. This is my liberal
2: arts education.
1: Yeah, I feel like this is a very specific definition okay, I feel like of separation of powers.
0: Believers in that separation of powers are people whose whose who's party that's of that's choice specific. controls like Congress like while the their says. party of choice doesn't control the presidency. No, 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 no. I think no. that's the hypocrisy. I think <clears throat> I think that phrase is like redolent with hypocrisy.
2: No, I think there I think there are people who who are distrustful of executive power full stop and i think they're on the left and the right um and and i think that that's and i think that's uh, like that's not so, the same thing as
0: separation of powers
2: sure it understand. is sure it is so like so like so like like uh executive branch shall shall implement the laws right like shall right. execute right mm-hmm. and and so like there's a very clearly defined prerogative there it's not interpret the laws. It's not. It's not fit the law to fit your priors. On, it is interpret on the laws any side. side here's the
0: thing, though. It is. It's become the law. that I fine, mean,
2: but but you can make an argument, and you can make an argument about right. congressional abdication because of polarization, which I think is a big part of this. Don't get me wrong. And you have, and you have, you don't have enough congressmen hmm. being equal opportunity, right? You don't have Republicans wanting to rein in um, Republican presidents enough, right? And vice versa. Um, in my opinion,
0: well, here's what I think. I think, uh, and again, my prior is that I'm actually, uh, married to a lawyer who represents the federal government in court. And so, and so like dinner table conversation is all about the, na- the sort of the, uh, administrative law and kind of the exact nature of this yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, I mean, I, just to sort of say, like, I have a little bit of a kind of like side interest in this topic. Yes. Not by choice. Um, but, uh, so, I, I get frustrated by when people say, oh, well, the Department of Education did this and it's illegal and it's unconstitutional. And, like, my, re- you know, my reaction is there is a, a massive set of both settled and currently in dispute law around questions of the limits of executive action that are constantly being, like, literally litigated. Like we have a whole system. Mm-hmm. We have a system of federal judges. Yep. There's a whole process, and, and yep. you know, and the process by which the federal government acts is like minutely regulated, right? I like agree. there's yeah. comment periods and yeah. there's processes, and if you screw anything that any of that stuff up, it gets thrown out, right? So you yeah, are, you have to listen to everybody, and you do this, and you're you have to like take comments from all these people, and you say this, and there are whole, now now I mean, unless are, you're the Ed Department and you and you have to do negreg and then Negreg breaks down,
2: and you basically. That, but that's have to the way go, the law works. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. Yeah. I mean, Congress I could have
0: changed it and designed and they, it and in different and, ways.
2: Yeah, and they will, and they will right. change it, and then they'll eventually yeah. change that. But no, I don't. I don't. So, so I don't. So, number one, there's there, a whole. There's a great right. book on the. There's a great book on right. administrative law, and it's called. It's by Shep Melnick, who what? Who's at Boston College, a political oh. scientist. It's called Filling in the Blanks, or something along those lines. Filling. Uh, I forget what it's called, but um, and it's all about how like. Lots of our questions are filled in over time by, by like federal law, right? Like by Mm -hmm. federal cases, right? Where like somebody sues under the APA, right? To get, and I understand that. I understand that. I'm talking more like that is how it works. And Mm -hmm. what I mean is like in the fight over, like in the fight over, like who's in charge of regulating colleges and universities, it, my sense, and I'm not accusing you of this. My sense is that advocates on the left love it when there's a Democrat in Congress and hate it. Sorry. When there's a Democrat in the white house and hate it when there's a Republican. And so like, and that to me seems not, um, did they hate it? when It there seems, was a Republican? it seems though? partisan. Oh, sure. Like, like hate- read, oh gosh, like the, the rolling back of the 50% rule for online learning, the change, the changes, uh, toward for profits, right? Like, um, uh, I can name like a, a couple other things if I had some time, but, um, I do feel
1: like, and then I want to drag this back on track, but like no, I do, do which it. I guess we have a little bit already. But I do feel like there's a difference between like those were bad changes, which is what I read when I sort of read that critique of it. And like there was no legal authority to make those changes. And I feel like the critique is more the former, which is like to be expected, mm. than the latter, which would be an actual hypocrisy on this. I on actually, this I think
0: that I hope that some of this stuff gets litigated. Because again, like the thing that I do know is that, the, that there is actually a sophisticated theory around what's legal and what's not. It's, it's been very well thought out and is constantly being sort of tested and tweaked and, you know, all the rest of it. I mean, there are, there are like radicals out there, like, you know, like George Will, for example, who wants to eradicate uh, essentially Chevron deference, which is a like legal theory that based on a, a, a case in which Chevron, the oil company, was the plaintiff, that basically lays out a whole series of, of processes by which you judge the action of an administrative agency And the essential theory is the 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 more vague Congress was, the more authority you have, Mm -hmm. and the more specific Congress was, the less authority you have. Mm -hmm. Which seems very logical to me, and a good way to figure these things out. And I don't know how else it would work. Like I don't. The world is so complicated, right? And Congress can't like anticipate every eventuality and lay it all out. You know, you these thousand-page bills that everyone complains about would be ten thousand pages bills if they try to do that. Yeah. No. I mean,
2: there's a very there's a very clear like. There's a long political science literature on all this, mm-hmm. right? Like Terry Moe, who's like – who now has become – on education circles, he's known as like the teacher union guy. But he's he wrote like amazing <coughs> stuff in the, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. in the 80s and 90s about – Yeah, anti-teacher union guy. In the 80s and 90s about – To be fair to Terry Moe. Yeah. He has, a, he has a book coming out with, <laughs> yeah. with Will Howell about the presidency soon. Um, But wrote these amazing things about like the politics of bureaucratic insulation and that, like – like people who like a particular policy will try to insulate the bureaucracy from from influence later, right? But that leads the bureaucracy to not work as well as it should, and right. So like, there's I'm I'm not you know I'm not saying that um, I'm not saying that I'm like that I think the executive branch has no role in policy making. I said this to Doug, uh, the uh, Doug Letterman uh, the other day when he called, which was like about the Trump stuff. It's like, well, what's, what's going on with Trump? And I just said like I think we have um, led ourselves to believe that the president is the most single most important person in higher ed policymaking, which is patently false, right? Like Congress writes the law and Congress will write HEA and rewrite it. And like, that's the way it's going to be, right? Like Obama has done a lot of stuff on like the fringes, mm-hmm. right? And some of it's been good and some of it's been bad and right? Like, and he's done a lot. Like he's done a lot more than others. not really on the
0: fringes though, right? I mean, I don't think Gainful was on the fringes.
2: Yeah, but well, it is on the fringes because it's 10% of students, right? So, it's fringes, right? I mean, he didn't he didn't do gainful for all the colleges, right? So, I all I mean all I mean is that like the fringes by the fringes I mean you're filling in those blanks again, right? Like and so like I just think we sh- so like the 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 point about like is this presidential election going to be like this watershed for higher ed? I don't think so cuz I think you're still going to have like likely a house that's controlled by republicans unless trump trump is so catastrophic down ballot
0: and a senate that's democratic and you're going to have like the negotiation. Right? Funny note for our listeners. We spent five minutes before beginning the podcast worrying about whether we would run out of things to talk about. Yeah, guys, I will like, never oh my God. be
1: concerned about this again. All we have
0: to talk
2: we about. We almost got to a new constitutional convention. Yeah,
0: so. Um, <laughs> we were so uh, close. As always, uh, thanks to both of you. Thank you to our great staff here at New America, John Williams, Amanda Gaines, um, for producing our podcast. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. Um, and we will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening to this New America podcast. This recording carries a Creative Commons 4.0 international license. Music thanks to Silent Partner for their song, George. To learn more about New America, please visit us at newamerica.org.